0: I think it's not trying to make it more. I think it's highlighting the beauty of what it is. right? I like, like that, yeah. I think it's four miles every single Wednesday. Uh-huh. Super, super basic. But that's a, a beautiful thing in a, in a place like New York City. It, it's consistency, it's something that's grounding. It, it's 45 minutes to an hour of your day mm-hmm. that you control with the people that you
1: love and you enjoy um, week over week, right? Welcome to the Zero Quit Podcast, where I bring you candid conversations with elite athletes, entrepreneurs, specialists, and other creatives. I'm your host, Brock Covington, and through these dialogues, you will hear powerful stories and practical advice that will help you live a more active and intentional life. If you enjoy the show, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Zero Quit Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Jack Gilbert. He's a runner, marketing specialist, and founder of Dirty Bird Run Club based in New York City. How are you feeling, dude?
0: Nervous, I know. Right <laughs> before we started recording, you we were describing how nervous I am. I um But that that was a good intro. Thank you for that. I think you're you're loosening me up slowly but yeah, surely. Yeah.
1: Well, <laughs> one, one thing I would ask before we get into the nitty gritty and the fun fun topics that we have planned is the uh you're dealing with a running injury, from what I remember, what I saw you recently yes. post about. And so I'd love to hear your perspective with that because it's something that I had to kind of deal with uh all of twenty what last year, twenty twenty two, because. I signed yeah. up for an ultra and I was like, awesome. This has been my first year, you know, doing an ultra I've watched a million docs of Courtney DeWalter and, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. all the Billy Yang stuff and, and you know, campaigns, David Goggins, all that. And I was like, all right, get my first 50 K, get my feet wet. And then uh, literally the, like two days after I signed up for it, um, my IT band acted up and I was like, no. And so yeah. I kept trying to work <laughs> yeah, right. through it. And yeah. I was like, well, like I- I'll just grit through it. I can recover. I got like 10 weeks, 12 weeks. I was like, I'll be fine. And then I get to like two weeks out, and I actually haven't bothered it. I'm doing good. I go for this long run, and then midway, it just, boom, sharp pain in the nerve. And I was like, fuck. Eventually, I had to cancel that. Throughout like the next six months or whatever, rehab. it. Eventually, did overcome it. But it's still even like today, like a year and a half from the last time I really bothered it, in the back of my mind. So, all that mm. preamble to say what are you dealing with and what has the the process been like uh running yeah. a running club and I know this is an important part of your identity and not yeah. being able to actually do the activity.
0: That's a great question. Just to your point, like I feel training for an ultra, you either get hurt the first week yeah. or the <laughs> week the week before.
2: Yeah. Um in my
0: case it was um roughly like a few weeks before I had a really good build leading up. I was training for a 30 miler cuz you know if you're sick in the head you run a 5k then a 10k then yeah. half then a full Like, of course logically i need to do the the next big you know thing um so i i was actually out in seattle for a work trip for 10,000 i was training um out there and you know i've just got a crazy sharp pain on the inside of my shin um and my pain tolerance is pretty high so i was like okay i'm going to Roll through it for a little bit, and I just could not walk. I mm-hmm. could not run. So um, the pain was incredibly acute. So you know, you're like, okay, stress fracture, great. Keep off for five weeks. Um, and that was back in February. So I've been kind of battling back and forth, in and out of PT, mm-hmm. a few orthopedists, like an MRI, two X-rays, like just trying to piece together what it is. And to be honest, at the end of the day, it's just tendonitis. Mm-hmm. Which um, we're at like low inside, on the side. So. Post Tib inside okay, the shin. so
1: you
0: know, yeah, low arch, pronate, forcing you know that that tendon on the inside just mm. to scream at me. Um, and you know it's crazy. It, it you know it's over usage. It's kind of there's so many factors, and I think that's what's been really cool since February of how much I've learned All about right, my yeah. body mm-hmm. um, going through PT and understanding what's causing this pain. Like right, it's not just a stress fracture, a little break. It's like. Well, no, your foot lands this way. Your yeah. hip has been weak since you've been, you know, 12, yeah. right? Yeah. And you're putting all these factors together to, just to figure out a small part of your body. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so I've been really in and out of running since February, which is pretty wild. Um, for context, I'm on the brand marketing team at 10,000. where um a men's apparel brand. Um Fitness focused, training focused, um, and you know when you're on a brand marketing team, you run events for athletes, right? So being able to host these events, right, and, and not participate is wild and wacky, and there's some <laughs> imposter syndrome there. Um, I also host a run club. We run every single Wednesday morning at 6:30 in New York City. You know, you set up the programming, you give the run, you know, you lead the run, and I've been honestly on a bike. Since February, leading that run, mm-hmm. and it's gotten to the point where people have joined and they've been here for a few they've months. Never seen you run, never <laughs> seen me run, right? They ask, they're like, Do you even run? And I'm like, what well, <laughs> I thought I did, I guess I don't, right? Like, these new people in my life, yeah. they're just like, Oh, you're just the guy that leads a run club on a bike, which is bizarre. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's interesting, it's interesting. It's like, you know, when running such a huge part of your identity, both
2: mm-hmm.
0: in a professional setting, personal life. As an individual, and you can't do that injury. It's a little, it, uh, little. It's incredibly frustrating. Um, yeah. But you kind of learn how to still stay in touch, right? Like I still go to the run club every mm-hmm. Wednesday. I still go to these events for my for my professional life, for my job. Um, and you have to kind of reposition your relationship with the sport because the sport's bigger than the individual, and it's bigger than an injury. I mean, there there is a woman that. I don't want to get this incorrect, but she just broke three hours um, and she joins like an elite crew of Black American women that have broken three hours. And she's, I think she's over 45 years old. So, mm-hmm. you know, when I saw that, I was just like, you're 25, 26, dude. Like, there's a long road to go. Yeah, perspective. Um, yeah. Perspective, right? And, and there's a long road to go in the running journey for me personally. So, cool off re you know reconfigure my perspective around it so it's been good um i've canceled all my races in 2023 and i'm just kind of like dialing into um you know just getting my body right and understanding that and just kind of focusing Mm -hmm. you know places other than just performance
1: yeah time is your friend with that and it is good to kind of just say hey i'm because if you keep continuing to try and sign up for a race and rush back and rush back it is good to just and, you know mentally check out and say hey you know what this year I- i'm putting it to the side i'm focusing on other stuff 2024 is as-, as much as that feels forever away uh that will be my year and-, and time will be your friend and it will pass and eventually once january comes around you're like all right i did what i needed to do i paid my dues totally. and i'm kind of ready to rock and roll a few things i wanted to point out of what you said was yeah it very much is a uh a, you know puzzle piece a little investigation when you do have an injury that is very strange uh with the mm-hmm. it ban You know, there's a number of things that people, uh, the internet's full of bullshit. I mean, you know, it gets really weird where people, you know, one thing works for one person, one thing works for another. And then me having a a good understanding of anatomy and uh, biomechanics with being a personal trainer and and being in the fitness space for so long, I kind of understood that although it sounds egotistic, I don't need a physical therapist. Because a right. physical therapist is going to tell me exercises or things I pretty much already know or can find out online. There are situations where, obviously, I'd advocate for someone to go. But for me, it was very much trying to figure out this puzzle, piece things together, and figure out, okay, you know, what movements can I do? What is causing mm-hmm. this pain? As you mentioned, if it's you know pronating or supinating the foot, figuring it out, especially tibialis is such a weird and small muscle, um, but figuring that out. And uh, you know, working around it and slowly building, and so forth. Okay, this doesn't give me pain. Let me, let me, let me go on walks or incline walks, and so forth. Uh, another thing that I thought about when you were talking about uh, you know being a r- running this club and you can't run, you're just uh, mm-hmm. cycling, is when I've hurt myself either through like lifting and I can't deadlift, or you know running. Uh, there's nothing that <laughs> drains you more than when you're watching someone do oh, yeah. exactly what you want to do, <laughs> but you can't. Yeah. And yeah. there's a couple of things that come out of that. One is this intense desire and motivation to get back to doing it and this reigniting of the fire and the love for it. But then mm-hmm. two, you also like you, like we referenced, get this perspective where it's like, man, you know, you can go to the extreme and say people that don't have legs um, or you could just keep it simple and be like, you know, Hey, like my situation right now, I can't run and I understand how bad I want to do this. So you just appreciate it more um when you get back to it so i think it just comes down to finding what you can do working around it sounds like you can still cycle maybe like a low intensity but at least you can still get get the blood pump and get some endorphins and at least be around the thing and the people that you love so i'm happy to uh to hear that let's dig into marketing and brand unless you want to uh you can grab something out of that in a second if you want but yeah so you're you're, what you do with ten thousand, like you mentioned it's a lot of marketing um, building around brand, and I've always said, like regardless of of my connection with Ten Thousand over the past three almost four years, is I've always felt like Ten Thousand is a very strong brand. Like, and I think that's what really drives, especially the higher dollar luxury companies, whether it is in apparel or anything. It's how how professional, how clean, how consistent is the branding, the messaging, what emotions does it evoke. And um, I think 10,000 does a really good job of that. Like products aside, just off like visibility, looking at the website, the product, um, all those elements, I think it's really there. So my question is, what do you think are some foundational elements of a strong brand?
0: That's a great question. Um, And thank you for saying that. Yeah, no, I would honestly, I want to start off by saying that it's a full team effort. So our, our brand marketing team is about four people at 10,000. And I would honestly say that the entire team at out 10,000, outside of our small little pocket, mm-hmm. everyone's incredibly focused on the messaging that we put out, You know, our, our brand pillars, everyone's incredibly aligned and on the same page of, of who we are and what we do and what we produce and what purpose do we serve at, at, as a company. Mm-hmm. Um, I, to answer your question, I think it's consistency and kind of understanding what those brand pillars are and being hyper, hyper critical. I, you know, there's, you know, there's a trend being like anti-meeting, anti-meeting. Um, you want to just work, work, work all okay. the time. Um, We spend a tremendous amount of time as a team focusing on the smallest of details, whether it be a, a, a caption or uh, for an Instagram post or wording on our website yeah. or um, a shot in, in a video. But to interject, I remember video.
1: working with a lot of yeah. the, the copy I wrote in that in-between period um, was, uh, yeah, it was like, you know, heavy criticism, very specific on like, hey, this is what we're trying to look for. And I think that's important. Like if you just are very lax with the messaging or, uh, you know, this isn't really giving off the tone and the attitude we want, but let it slide, like you're going to lose that sense of brand internally, but also, you know, totally. external to the consumer.
0: Yeah, I I think boiling it all down is you have to be your own biggest critique.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. Like you have to criticize every single thing that you do every single day, mm-hmm. and, and put it through the lens that you set from the from the jump. Right. Like I would say honestly, we've been the same brand for the past four years, yeah. and I don't think we're gonna change anytime soon which which to me is strong, right? Like consumers can go to a single place and a single brand and they know exactly where they're going to get.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It, you know, that's not impeding on iteration or innovation. It, it's just changing what we're providing mm-hmm. through the same lens, right? So when when you're super hypercritical on everything that you put out, out day after day, um, I think that's what creates a strong brand because, you know, you look at, you'll scroll through Instagram and there's a new brand putting out men's training gear Mm -hmm. every single day no matter no matter where you are in the world there is a new brand maybe on average 1.5 a week right that people are like oh no i could put out a better pair of shorts or oh i could put out a a, a better shirt right and and so our design team is hyper critical on like a stitch in our Mm -hmm. shirt and we'll talk about that stitch for two weeks just because we need to hit you know as close to perfection as possible um when the landscape as it is right now, brands are popping up left and right as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, You have to stay on top of, you know, your salt and pepper, your nitty gritty, the decisions you make every single day. Because, you know, one thing I like to use, and I think that 10,000 adopts as well is will this decision affect our business five years down the line, 10 years down the line, right? Um, and, And it doesn't have to be day by day, like we're in this for the long game. And I think that's, the decision-making process comes from of just being hypercritical of of everything that you put out everything that goes externally and even internally as a company Mm -hmm. um do you think there's a
1: uh not to cut you off do you think there's a like a line between perfectionism and being hypercritical like what is the small minute difference between those if there is one because i think perfectionism gets demonized but i don't know if it's always bad
0: yeah, perfectionism profession, gets demonized, and, and I tend to disagree with it, right? Like, if, if you put as much energy into every single decision that you make, in order, I'm, I'm not saying, you know...
1: Yeah, maybe the line is inaction. Like, maybe the line is yeah. like, if, if this hypercritical attitude and this perfectionism is leading to inaction, that's when it turns negative. But absent of right. that, it sounds like you're just honing in your craft.
0: Yeah, you're honing in your craft, and... and you're focusing on one thing, you're making the perfect decision, right? The perfect mm-hmm. decision, the hypercritical decision on that, executing and then moving on to the next. Yeah. It, it's not trying to be per- perfect in 10 different directions. It's being incredibly focused on like, what's the mission? What are we trying to do? What's the purpose here, right? And, and you know, putting that lens on the smallest of things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think honestly, it's a lot of work and it, it's exhausting, um, but that's kind of what it takes to build a, a really good brand uh, a generational brand these days right Mm -hmm. and you have to be all in or you're all out
1: yeah well i I think a good dichotomy to to dive into and just discuss is uh you know we see it's there's plenty in between in the gray area but we see like for example ten thousand and other brands that have a very clean minimal kind of muted color tone look but then we also see these more abstract loud colorful brands like i'll Mm -hmm. reference gooder or you could even maybe throw in like tailwind Um, there's probably more examples on that side of things, you know, what do you think about those? Is there a better strategy? Is there a better strategy for different industries or like what, what kind of attitude do you have to go in with one more than the other?
0: Yeah. I mean, look, I have no problem with a super colorful brand that has really funny messaging that posts memes on their Twitter account. Um, that's just not ten thousand, like right? Like Huron, I think uh, you
1: you tagged them right. Like they do
0: that. Yeah, they, let, they do the fun things. Yeah, games, they yeah. do that, right? And mm-hmm. and I respect brands that are consistent, right? Like mm-hmm. if Gooder posted a dark, moody, gritty, you know, picture of their sunglasses with what? like four <laughs> words in their caption, it would be bizarre, right? And it wouldn't make sense, and I would be turned off. Like I'm turned off when brands extend themselves too far outside um, of their comfort zone, and, and Kind of stretch to the point where it feels like a force right so i i'm indifferent to clean i mean personally i'm a clean minimal guy myself mm-hmm. um i guess that's why i work at ten thousand. but you know it's for each different consumer like there's not going to be one consumer that it, it is focused on both mm-hmm. right and, and that's okay you're allowed especially you know like i feel like for example nike right that's back when there weren't a lot of big major brand. So yes, they can appeal to everyone. But nowadays, everything is so um, stuck in their own lane that if you veer outside your lane too much, the consumers that have been following you along are going to be like, wait, and they're kind of losing their own brand identity. So yeah. I'm indifferent to, to color minimalist or not. Um, so long as the brand is very consistent and intentional with, you know, what they put out and what they produce.
1: Yeah, I like the consistency and intentionality behind that brand and that message uh what are some you know we can be you don't have to name names but uh to have some fun here be critical of different brands you know, what are some glaring mistakes that certain brands especially in that you know startup area um, mm. are making it and like also where should brands be pivoting and putting their attention to you know are they putting too much attention towards let's say influencers and ambassadors but really they should be looking mm. at their ads or their actual product or their customer retention or i don't know broad question but wherever you kind of want to run with it, whatever jumps out at you
0: Sure. I won't say names, but <laughs> if you are a brand geek like me, you might pick up context clues. I, I think one thing, uh, I think partnerships and collabs are kind of the future uh, of growth. I was just talking for, for to uh, my friend
1: Jeremy about that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It, it, if you partner with the right brands, you can, you know, put your growth on a rocket ship, essentially right, to reach new audiences that you know for a fact will, you know, consume what you're serving. Um, however, the danger there is is stretching, as I mentioned, stretching too far outside your, you know, your comfort zone mm-hmm. and, and collabing and, and partnering with a brand or a product even that doesn't make any sense. Like th- there's a, 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 a men's fitness apparel brand that uh, they did like a, a, a skiing capsule. And, you know, I, I don't know how well it did, it, mm-hmm. it but it came off as co- incredibly um, outside of of their comfort zone and outside what their consumers would normally expect, and mm-hmm. I can't really imagine that, that it did. So, you know, if I had to be honest with you, I think partnerships are incredibly, incredibly important to the modern day brand, but they're also incredibly dangerous, and you have yeah. to be really hypercritical on, you know, who you partner with, what's the messaging, who are you trying to reach, what's the purpose of it? Um yeah, I think that's kind of the feature that uh, paid ads. Yeah. yeah.
1: I was just is the value for that, and you don't have to get into specifics with ten thousand, but just vaguely, like, is the value with the partnerships primarily a a perception and brand awareness uh avenue or strategy? Or is the return really great on sales? For example, I know like sometimes you, know, you might partner with some big name athlete, mm. but the exposures there, but the converted sales, maybe not be as great, especially like you mentioned, if you did Mm -hmm, go a a weirder route and grab someone who's like famous, let's say some TikToker hooked up with 10,000, but they don't even really work out. It's like, all right, you're getting attention to the brand, but that audience isn't necessarily a potential customer. Um, So what are your thoughts on that? Like where is the value in the partnerships mostly rely on?
0: I think if you're a smart brand, you, you lean into the, the, Two categories of value, right? Like, for sure, there's brand alignment, there's brand reach, mm-hmm. right? Like, what is 10,000 sitting next to in terms of watches and shoes yeah. and, you know, um, nutritional supplements, right? Like, if you position your brand next to other brands that fall in line with your values, like Go and, Ruck, for example, was good. Exactly, yeah. right? So, like, we collabed with Go Ruck because, you know, we believe in their mission, they believe in ours, we feel like our consumer base is similar enough right and then on the flip side there's sales right like you also need to make money right mm, <laughs> i course. wouldn't have a job if we, <laughs> if we didn't sell shorts so you know and i think you know you could dedicate marketing dollars in the two directions um and there's value to both um and you just kind of it, it kind of depends on where your business is and its life cycle yeah. um yeah it, there's value to both i would say
1: one uh, thing I, I discussed a good bit with uh my friend, Jeremy, I think, you know, Jeremy Miller and so forth. And mm-hmm. one thing we've discussed yeah. is this idea of, uh, I think one brand he worked with called them this, but like life leads versus athletes. So the value for a brand to partner with a particular, let's say, influencer, a recreational athlete versus a pro athlete, because again, a lot of the consumers of uh, we'll keep referencing them. We'll, we'll, we'll get our bills paid <laughs> 10,000, um, <laughs> yeah. 10,000, uh, any brand shoot Roan, Nike, uh, you know, Viore, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, a lot of the people buying these products, I mean, like you and me, we're not pro athletes. We're recreational athletes. We're intentional mm-hmm. and we're, we're passionate about fitness. So that's, that's why we're looking to those brands and investing in these, uh, pieces of clothing or gear and so forth. Um, but where is the? what do you think is, is the value and where the, I guess, industry is positioned more towards um, investing in these like life leads or influencers rather than pro athletes like, let's say, the people winning Boston Marathon, the people winning Leadville and so forth?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I, honestly, your product needs to be in the hands of people, influencers, athletes, life leads, uh-huh. whatever we're calling them nowadays. Um, that are able to showcase your product in a, in a realistic setting uh-huh. in which the consumer can then adopt and be like, Oh, okay. That's a little bit outside of my comfort zone, but it's not unattainable. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, if, if you put your, um, you know, 10,000 gear on the world heavyweight, you know, power lifter, mm. I wouldn't buy it. You know, yeah. I'm a pretty skinny dude. I'm going to see that. That doesn't make sense to me. That, that feels too far outside of my comfort zone.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, And then anecdotally, so prior to joining 10,000, I was working in influencer marketing for two years. um, And that's all I did um, across the board. And we saw that the best traction in terms of engagement sales were from micro influencers, influencers with less than 5,000 followers. You know, we would give um, the same product to someone with 5,000 followers Mm -hmm. and someone with a million followers. Uh, And the person with 5,000 followers would drive a lot more sales, mm-hmm. right? So it kind of goes back to our conversation earlier, like, where do you place that value, reach impressions, mm-hmm. eyeballs, or actual sales. And like I said, there's value to both. Yeah. right? like, you need to get your brand out into the zeitgeist, you need to get it out to the world, people need to know who you are. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's interesting, like, the people with smaller followers are more intentional, they're more real, right? They have a, a core group of people that will follow them to the death so it's it's hard and you know we work we at Ten Thousand we work with um nfl athletes and we work with you know guys that work out in their gym and and there's value to both right Mm -hmm. like your consumer if you're a big brand your consumer base is huge and spans a bunch of different demographics
1: yeah i think it's there's so like to reference, like 10,000, you know, they recently brought on, I think, what David Long Jr. and so forth and people like that. Mm-hmm. I, it's like, I, I doubt there's many sales pushed through him, but the value of having some of these bigger names, it adds a sense of different uh, prestige and uh, value to the brand to where as a consumer, I look and see these bigger name athletes or influencers and uh, it, it just kind of beefs up the brand in a certain way. Um, than if they put their money in a bunch of let's say micro influencers so like you said there is value in both I think it's just finding the right ratio um, percentage uh, split that's going to work best for your brand and your certain uh, goals and so forth
0: what yeah I I would if I may like I would just offer that you know every athlete that we work with is incredibly intentional but also every athlete that we work with you know has their own value that they provide Mm -hmm. um, us and and us to them right like Mm -hmm. Just because, you know, an athlete that we work with that doesn't drive sales doesn't mean they're not important to us, mm-hmm. right? We're athlete-led design first, so, you know, they might put our clothes through the ringer, mm-hmm. right? A- a- and give us really insightful um, optimizations to our pair of shorts that we want to launch. But then on the flip side, there's athletes that we work with that can sell water to a well, right? A- 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 and they're incredibly important. So, yeah, like like we keep on uh, hammering, it's like there's value across the board. You just have to kind of figure out what's best for your business at a single moment.
1: Yeah, last thing on like marketing and brand, it kind of connects to what we just talked about. Like you can, as an influencer, let's say provide value beyond the sale as far as mm-hmm. input, as far as just uh, awareness, but also as far as just content. And so we mm-hmm. see a lot of stuff that that I've done, that other people have done, whether it be direct paid in feed content or uh, UGC or, you know, you could do some like whitelisting and so forth um, where are you seeing brands for the most part trend these days? And where do you think brands get the best bang for their buck? Because I've seen, I like got, I sent, I saw one yesterday I sent, uh, to, to Jeremy just cause I was like, man, do people really buy from this? Like you see sometimes yeah. he's very scripted and stiff. Like, like you said, like with, I mean the same with everything we're talking about with brand today applies to the individual. Mm. For example, if you post like fitness content consistently or whatever, it's authentic, it's you training. And then you have a stiff video of you walking into like a, uh, a, a store and picking up a branded kombucha and you're like, Hey, this has, uh, antibiotics <laughs> yeah. or whatever, it, like uh-huh. people know they're being sold to at least I imagine. And I imagine that that doesn't actually convert to that many sales. So I wonder, uh, before I, I run off on a tangent, what your thoughts are on that kind of creative content space?
0: Sure. Yeah. I mean, look, the consumer nowadays is is not dumb. We all know what an Instagram story ad looks like, right? We all know what like product placement looks like. Um, you know, three years ago, five years ago, I, I wouldn't say the same thing. I would say, you know, that kombucha ad on someone's stories would be novel and new. And people are like, oh, my gosh, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Brock loves this kombucha. Uh, I'm going to go for it. But, mm-hmm. you know, the consumer in 2023, um, rapidly moving into 2024, no one's biting on that, right? No one's biting on that at all. Um, I think the, the challenge that brands are facing is, you know, there prior, there was so much value put on high quality content and production um, coming from a brand, right? Like if you're a Nike, a 10,000, an Adidas, a, 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 a Roan, a GOREC, um, you were expected to put forth really cool content at high production value. However, nowadays, right everyone's doing the scroll everything is 9 by 16 mm-hmm. everything is on tiktok instagram stories quick quick 10 second videos
1: um, no matter what and andrew I, shelley wants we're not going back to the horizontal videos unfortunately no matter,
0: <laughs> look for people that are listening andrew shelley is, is head of video content 10000 and he's an artist at at heart. I love him. and he wants uh, horizontal landscape view video he wants you know art put on yeah. like a big movie screen Yeah, I'm for it. (laughs) Unfortunately, that's just not how people are consuming Mm -hmm. content these days, right? And people are consuming 10-second video bits shot in a phone in reverse angle like Mm -hmm. this, 9 by 16. And I think the struggle, to answer your question after the ramble, is um, brands are struggling to find that perspective, to find that voice, to find that creative muscle, Mm -hmm. while influencers and athletes and and, and life leads, etc., are really really good at that, and I think that's the appetite in which brands now want and actually should lean into is getting content creators to shoot UGC, users generated generated content, content, excuse me, um, you know, just really authentic raw content that can fit in their you know own brand page, own ten thousand. Question for you
1: because this is something I've asked a few people now over the past mm-hmm. year or two is as far as UGC, as far as like, let's say I'm paid to do a in feed reel. does a mm. brand want a, because similar to Andrew, but not on his level, I'm very much coming from video production, video editing background. Mm-hmm. I want to film a, a nicer quality video. I want to get the nice angle, shoot the B roll. But yeah. sometimes I think brands almost prefer a very organic, authentic iPhone footage, uh, single shot video. Like, where do you see the better value in, um, yeah. Where, where do you see that? Look, Does that go I go mean, back and forth.
0: Yeah, no, no, no. Look, mm. if you're a content creator, like an individual contractor, an individual that creates content, mm. I would honestly say that brands are looking for like the the grainy iPhone video, yeah, right. Because, because, because brands can go brands can go out to an agency uh-huh. they can give them a brief. That agency has a production team, and they create that high end stuff. Mm um the like i was mentioning like the value in you know micro influencers people that make their own content is it's raw and and authentic and it honestly connects to the consumer even more simply because they're like oh i could have made that video Mm -hmm. i could wear those shorts i could have made that video i could have posted the same thing Mm -hmm. um it's almost like the medium now and like the delivery of the content um that itself needs to be relatable to the to the consumer, especially yeah. since everyone lives their lives on their phone. So yeah, it, it, it's interesting. It's an interesting landscape. I know we all want to make all creators out there want to make the <laughs> the you know a hundred uh you know bit super high quality mm-hmm. stuff. Um but yeah I mean it just if you're a brand and you want to make money you need to understand what your consumer consumes.
1: It's funny too because like you know I'll put whatever effort into a reel and it'll poor you know poorly perform. And then I'll do like a one take, yeah. like very simple shot. And that thing will get, you know, yeah, 40,000 plays or whatever. I'm like, God damn it. You know, but uh, <laughs> I mean,
0: real, real quick, yeah. just on like quality. For example, um, Oakley just released a campaign for runners. They were releasing new running sunglasses. Uh-huh. Half of the shots in all of their marketing materials were shot on a camcorder from like the 1990s. Grainy, shaky. That's almost just, like its just, own aesthetic, though separate from it's, like it, but yeah. that's an aesthetic but right but, yeah you know, that's not high quality mm-hmm. That that's literally shot on a tiny little camcorder mm-hmm. um you know pure sport out in london they're uh you know a supplement company mm-hmm. um cbd supplement company they're shooting stuff right now off a camcorder off a grainy camcorder mm-hmm. and you know like that's not that expensive you could probably get that camcorder off of, off the of ebay for 60 bucks mm-hmm. so it, it's just interesting on how um people are consuming and look i'll be honest everything is pendulum everything is a circle yeah in 10 years everyone's going to need a dslr that shoots in 3d but yeah
1: um
0: yeah it, it's what if yeah, just consume. wait
1: Just wait for the hologram content where eric henman I... is in your kitchen showing you this product <laughs> <laughs>
0: look i'll be honest i hope i don't make it that far i <laughs> hope i'm in the woods far away from any holograms or 3d yeah 3d
1: stuff all right let's dig into uh it's yeah. like the meat and potatoes of what you do Separate from work, the running community. So let's talk yeah. about Dirty Bird Run Club. Um, one, Fair. I want to hear about the name because I feel like it's like a slick name, but but pretty unique. Uh, af- you know, definitely as well. And uh yeah, what sparked? Yeah. What sparked creating the club? Give me the uh the whole backstory.
0: Sure, sure, sure. Um, just to get the name out of the way, it means nothing. It um, well, just sounds cool. That
1: I like that. It's,
0: <laughs> it, look, it's slick and unique. it's it stuck. Um, I went to Boston College. We were the Eagles. Something with a bird. Pigeons, New York City, uh-huh. dirty. I don't know. It just stuck. I like literally threw it on there. Yeah. Um, and I was like, this will be a placeholder. Mm-hmm. Right. And people were like, okay, it's kind of fun. It's kind of like unique and, and kind of bitty in really? a way. And it just kind of has evolved um, to something that, you know, people respected and recognized. And you know, I think one thing regarding the name is I really didn't want to, as intentional as it sounds, I didn't want to tie to a place. I didn't want to be New York City Run Club. I didn't mm-hmm. want to be Boulder Track Club, right? I wanted it to be universal and where runners across the state, the country, the county, everywhere, can you know, adopt and, and relate to. Um, so like I was mentioning way back when, like when you're starting a brand, every decision is, has to be super intentional. Mm-hmm. And so a- as much as we threw it, the name up on the wall, I-, I knew for a fact I didn't want to tie it to a place. Um, the second part of the question is like you know where did dbrc come from it came from the pandemic right it it, it was 12 of my friends that haven't seen each other right for a really long time Mm -hmm. we signed up for a 200 mile ragnar race um through new hampshire Um, none of us ever running before um i think it was just a big joke to Mm -hmm. be honest to to see um you know if we can run and just get active during the pandemic get out of our houses and, you know, we basically were like, this race is never going to happen, mm-hmm. right? It's just kind of the end of the world, and, and, and we'll sign up for this 200-mile race. The world opened back up. We had to run, and we needed a name. Um, and, yeah, that's kind of where it started. And then, you know, once that race passed, I kind of felt like something was missing now that we weren't training for something. Mm-hmm. So it was just a quick text to a few friends. Um, hey, does anyone want to start running on Wednesday mornings? Um, simply because you know there wasn't a run being hosted in new york city on wednesday mornings like a lot of clubs in new york city run on tuesdays and thursdays and saturdays Mm -hmm. um i was like okay let's fill the gap let's run on wednesday morning and the first run was two people and myself it was january it was the first week of january it was sleeting it was icy it was cold it was right on the water and i just remember being like okay this is probably the last time (laughs) We'll, we'll, we'll be doing that and you know now we're about we're closing in on 100 straight wednesdays um running and there's about 125 people that show up every wednesday so it's kind of you know snowballed into something really really cool
1: yeah yeah so when it comes to like uh growing community and making like you mentioned Mm -hmm. there's a lot of run clubs around new york specifically but you know a lot of major cities have multiple run clubs Mm -hmm. how do you go about amplifying that experience over the actual run itself so like Anybody can start a group run, right? But not everyone can have that sense of community, that you know, exciting experience. And sometimes it's, you know, a particular individual. Maybe they love you, Jack, that much. But it's not. <laughs> how do you go about amplifying that experience and really cultivating a uh, culture within your uh, running club?
0: Yeah. Um, just the, I mean, look, it has to be a low and slow burn. You have to kind of focus on the salt and pepper that goes into your group and focus on, you know, providing the best service and the best experience, although for 45 minutes once a week, um, it kind of has to be like the highlight of their Wednesday and then hopefully the highlight of their week. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's so much um, decision paralysis and there's so many places you could be, especially in New York City, um, where you're up against a lot of competition. Competition is not the right word because, you know, I love all these other clubs, I tell people to run with all these other clubs Mm -hmm. for a bunch of different reasons. But um, when you're trying to build a community, you have to be consistent and intentional and show up as small as that may be show up for 45 minutes, you have to do it week over week. Mm -hmm. Um, And then kind of like building the vibe, the feeling that people align with, because for people that are listening or, or viewing, it's The run is a four-mile run. Mm -hmm. There's no pace groups. It's not a workout. It's quite literally a four-mile run on the same route every single week. So it's really basic. It's not much. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the reason that people keep keep coming back is the people that already show up, right? You need to understand that um, the people that you surround yourself with kind of set the tone for the entire environment that you're trying to create. And I think the one thing that I'm incredibly proud of above everything else, is the group that shows up like just good genuine people that kind of leave their ego at home it to be honest it's kind of hard to have an ego at mm-hmm. 6 30 in the morning um because i'm just kind of rolling out of bed yeah. which is uh a, a pro but yeah it, it's surrounding yourself with people and bringing people into your community that you trust that have the same values as you and, and kind of embody what the club wants to serve to the world and um yeah look dbrc would be nothing without the people that show up week over week um you know there's ogs there's new people that come um and you know they set the tone i just stand up there and tell people where to run um it's you know the people that are doing the actual running especially with me on a bike Mm uh that are you know building that community and and building that experience
1: so you reference you guys go in the same distance the same route and so forth same time Mm -hmm. same place how do you avoid redundancy of it how do you avoid making it feel kind of uh you know boring or tedious Mm -hmm. and how do you continuously kind of level up the experience as far as you know do you ever i don't know bring bagels or spice things up or how do you kind of i don't make it something more than what it is on paper
0: yeah it's interesting i think it's not trying to make it more i think it's highlighting the beauty of what it is right like Like, i think It's four miles every single Wednesday, Uh super, super basic, but that's a a beautiful thing in a a place like New York City. It's consistency. It's something that's grounding. It's 45 minutes to an hour of your day Mm -hmm. that you control with the people that you love and you enjoy um, week over week, right? Like I I just received a text um, from a friend that's been coming from a long time, and they were saying, that you know, DBRC got me through a really dark part of my life because it was the su- it was the thing that was consistent in my life mm-hmm. every single week. So it, it's look it, it, honestly, if you're bored, don't come right. Like yeah. don't don't come. And I'll tell you, be the first. Sleep in. Go do something else. Like you don't have to come here because it it's like, oh, I need to be at Dirty Bird Run Club. I need to be seen there. It's so exciting it's like no we're just acting as a service for people to to ground themselves and, and, and you know reset and kind of get through their wednesday get through their back half of the week so you know there's all bells and whistles like we have thursday night runs we have saturday morning runs we have fun events we have charity work mm-hmm. um, but without that wednesday boring four miles um, the rest is just you know fluff superfluous yeah.
1: yeah don't yeah, yeah don't make it what it's not don't try and distract it from the uh, the, the core idea and the core Uh, purpose Mm -hmm. of it i like that yeah so uh, you know you've had it for how many years now two and change
0: so dirty bird run club first run was january of 2022 so it's about a year and a half now
1: okay okay year and a half yeah obviously you guys have grown a lot how do you go about protecting the culture as you grow because i'm sure at some point maybe you can reference a story without shaming them too much but you know where someone does bring an ego or they're just being negative or i don't know bullying whatever term you want to use but they're just bringing everybody down messing with the group how do you go about protecting the club from those negative experiences
0: that's a great question and that's something that keeps me up at night every single (laughs) they're coming for you night (laughs) they're coming for us right like (laughs) it It's hard man it It's hard to scale and like keep that feeling, but you know back to our our conversation about ten thousand and brands like you just gotta stay consistent, right, mm-hmm. so like I'll get up there and I'll set the tone with you know how I interact with everyone um what messaging do I put out there and it comes from me first to kind of set the tone like the egos are left at home, right, yeah. like we're inviting to everyone. You know, we crack a joke about running like here and there. Like, it's not that serious. And it comes from you, but it also comes from, you know, the people that have been coming for 74 weeks, mm-hmm. uh, my close friends that I trust to kind of set the tone. And look, the people that show up that bring a bad energy, um, frankly, they're going to also show themselves out, mm-hmm. right? I, it's an open forum. There's no membership fee. There's no application to come join. So everyone can come in. Um, but you just kind of have to trust the the energy of the group mm-hmm. to kind of naturally select those people. And almost like if you're bringing up bad energy and you're surrounded with people with good energy, you're gonna feel uncomfortable and you're probably gonna leave. Yeah. And it, it's not like we're pushing people out. It's like I'll never ask anyone to leave. Um, it's just trusting that you know the vibe that you set and, and, and the you know messaging that you want to instill. Mm-hmm. Um, that itself does does the dirty work for you.
1: Yeah, yeah, I experienced that a little bit with uh, you know, when I owned a gym, trying to make sure you don't have just idiots coming in, not only screwing up your equipment and putting holes in your wall. That's sure. that's one thing. But two, yeah, yeah, messing with the culture and you know, you, you, again, it, like you said, it, it starts with the business owner, or it starts with the club manager. It starts mm-hmm. with, I mean, same with you know, if you have a family, it starts with the the mother and father, the household, uh, mm-hmm. whoever's leading it you know, setting the tone, having the right attitude, having the right kind of incentives to do so. So, you know, if people act accordingly. They're going to have a better experience, a better time um, at the club. So that makes perfect sense. So one thing I, I know you wanted to talk about, and uh, it fascinated me as well is this broad usage of the term club. Um, you know, we see run yeah. clubs, athletic clubs, running groups, mm-hmm. like, what does that term mean to you? How do you feel like it's, it's used or misused? What are your thoughts on that matter?
0: Yeah, I mean look, four years ago it was exactly what it it um, was spelled out to be. It is a club of of a few group group of people that have the same values, have the same interests. Um four years ago that's what it was. Now it is every single business, every single entity in the world right now is gonna form a club. Um yeah. whether it be a coffee shop, a barber shop, a um brand, right? Like a, a running club for brand mm-hmm. or or a knitting club for a yarn manufacturer. There's going to be a club, like club the itself, the term is being weaponized, yeah. right? To sell things to to sell. Things. Well, for example, there's a pizza shop in New York okay. city. There's a pizza shop in New York city, a pizza shop that it's called upside pizza club. Right. And it, it the word itself just lends to people wanting to be a part of something. Um and, and brands are leveraging that now, and and everyone's leveraging that now. Even if you're an individual content creator, um, Cody Co, for example, yeah. Um, Cody Co just launched the Cody Co Running Club. Uh, to me, that's pretty pretty telling of like how strong the word "club" is. Mm-hmm. Like, there's merch involved, but that's it, right? And, and it's this word now that um has. Not lost its value, but everyone's leaning into yeah. and everyone's using for everything.
1: And philosophy, it, it, it's been like referenced as, like a it's called like anti-concept. It's like once this kind of yeah. uh, this, this word has no value when it's just kind of left by itself. Yeah, like if you say the yeah. word extremist, where it's like extreme, extreme what? Like there's no content to it, and it's almost like right. like club is kind of lose that. Um, and, and like you mentioned, it has become this. Uh, I don't know. It's it's almost like you mentioned a. A brand providing a sense of belonging and trying to mm-hmm. rope in their customers to be uh, more lifelong customers, more committed mm-hmm. customers. Uh, but like you mentioned, if it's just merchandise or it's just uh, very broad, it, it doesn't actually have an engaging, coherent group. Then it's mm-hmm. it's it's just a marketing ploy. It's not actually a club in the authentic, original sense. So it is right. interesting, yeah. No
0: it, it, it's wild. And I'm not saying, you know, I don't think anyone should be the gatekeeper of the work. Like people can use it however they want. It, it's just a fascinating phenomenon. right. Happening. Um, you, you'll see it everywhere. And it's not just running clubs at all. Like I just said the pizza place down the street has their own club now. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's wild. And, you know, I urge everyone listening and viewing to just kind of pay attention and see how many clubs are popping up. Uh, on, on their Instagram feed because uh, it, it's something that blows my mind every day. I think day. The, uh,
1: the advantage for brands too is it's a low barrier of entry for the consumer. Like like most mm-hmm. clubs still don't have a fee, so you are kind of can freely buy into something, say, oh, I'm a part of this and feel more tied to it. So it is mm-hmm. an interesting aspect. You referenced it earlier. There's a, a bajillion and a half running groups, clubs, now we use mm-hmm. that term. So whatever you want to call it in New York. Yeah, 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 yeah. How do you view that? I'm gonna use the word competition in other running mm-hmm. clubs. You mentioned that uh, you know you'll you'll still tell people to go run there. So what are your perspective on your competition, so to speak?
0: You know, high tide raises all boats. Um, I, I don't think success in however a crew or a club defines it, it honestly is dependent on the success of another club, right? If someone, if DBRC, um has 400 runners on Wednesday morning, sure, it might detract from, you know, another club that runs on Wednesday morning. But, you know, in honesty, it's not gonna detract from the success or, or um, however that's being defined by other clubs in, in the running space in New York City. Um, yeah, it, it's interesting. It, I don't know. I think it definitely puts, you know, runners at a disadvantage to a point because there's decision paralysis Mm -hmm. right um and i also think that there's some negative influences where people are like oh if you're running with this club you can't run with that club Mm, um that is when it gets dicey and that's when it becomes super dangerous and i think that's when the word itself uh becomes a negative thing right when club equates to click yeah bad right that that's not gonna work It, it it's it shouldn't be a um, this or that. It happens very um, naturally scenario. with.
1: Uh, I mean, it happens yeah. again to reference my experience that I can with gyms. It's the same way where it's like, oh, you go to this gym, you can never go to that gym. It becomes like an either or mm-hmm. um, thing. So I, I definitely, uh, I definitely understand where you're coming from with that.
0: Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. I mean, honestly, there's a, an, another saying is you'll get more with honey over vinegar, right? Like if you're
1: I like that. Asking
0: yeah. your runners to not go to other clubs, or if you're shaming runners to go to not to go to other clubs, you're not actually serving them. You're not mm-hmm. giving them a, a, a good experience. You're not, you know, running a run club is an act of service at the very end of the day, mm-hmm. right? Like there's not a lot of shimmer. At the core of it, right? Showing up at six fifteen on Wednesday morning, it's an act of service. So if you're not serving the people that believe in you and believe in your message, uh in the sense that you're you know, not letting them be a part of other things, mm-hmm. then you're not really, you know, benefiting towards the community, the culture, and, and especially the word club in that sense.
1: Yeah. It's not in their best. yeah, you're not serving their best yeah. interest as well. So this is something we talked about on the, uh, the old Uber back from uh, Chicago was, yeah. uh, monetizing clubs. And yeah, you know, so you referenced Codico, and I, I, you know, there's different ways people have done this. You guys have hats and I believe shirts as well, um, periodically. Mm-hmm. How do mm-hmm. you go about managing the club and saying, hey, I want to keep this authentic as possible? I want to keep it real. But at the same time, A, there's there is an opportunity to, uh, you know, genuinely make money without sacrificing values. But also, mm-hmm. you know, I've grown something special, I've put a lot of time into this. I would love to kind of get some kickback and grow it even further. You know, I could reinvest it. Mm-hmm. So what are your thoughts on the matter on monetizing clubs and, and yeah. how, how should a club manager go about doing so? Uh,
0: it, it, that's a great question. Um, that's all I have it, is great questions. <laughs> You're really full of them. You, you sent over the questions prior. I was shaking in my boots. i was like, oh boy, we're going to get into it. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, it's an interesting question, and it, I think it depends on the individual and what they want to do with their club, right? And I think if that is set forth from the beginning and you don't pull the wool over your runner's eyes in this sense in, in the run club mm-hmm. perspective um, and you're super transparent with how things go, things goes, you're allowed to kind of do whatever you want. Um, there's clubs out there that are set up for, as nonprofits, which is amazing, and there's clubs out there that are set up for profit. And I, I don't think, I think there's, bad apples in in each group. Mm -hmm. Um, I think people um, definitely, you know, there's individuals that may benefit personally off of the notoriety of their own club as well, Mm -hmm. Um, right? Like if the individual gets a a brand deal before the club gets a brand deal, I'm not entirely sure if I would support that either. Um, I I think in terms of, you know, membership and charging, um, the only time you should ever, you know, have membership is if it provides value for the person that's being, you know, purchasing that membership, right? Like there has to be something, some give back. If you're just charging people to show up for a four mile run and letting them run, uh, you shouldn't be charging the membership. Uh, you're not doing anything beyond what they can do on their own. Um, yeah. And like, mer- like merchandise and, and events, um, if people want to buy it, right, then they're allowed to buy it. And if they want to identify with the club, then please by all means uh, make merchandise for the runners of your club, but you know, it has to benefit the club and the organization and the people in which they run, uh, first. Mm -hmm. And then the individual absolutely dead last, like the person that has started the club, uh, that you might as well get pennies at the end of the day. Um, and I do think that's not only good for the nature of the club, and it's good for the runner but also it's good for the, like the business itself, right? Like you're putting your business first, you're putting all the money, right? That, you know, say Brock, you bought a DBRC shirt. Um, Me going out and and getting a burger and a few beers with that money is not benefiting you Mm -hmm. at all. If I took that money, right? And I put it back into events and programming and, and all these amazing things that a club can provide, then I think that's what is not only, you know, the ethical way to, to run mm-hmm. uh, a, a club, but also it's good for business in general, right? It's just good business sense. Um, so yeah, it, it's interesting. I, I've heard opinions on how people should run clubs from everyone, and there's a thousand different ways you can go about it. Mm-hmm. But I think it's the intention in which you you run a club. Um, like It can be a business. Mm-hmm. I firmly believe that. I support that. Um, but so long as it it still continues to serve the people that support you then by all means do whatever you want
1: talking about it being a business and like the last mm-hmm. question i have relating to clubs communities all that is how do you expand mm-hmm. beyond your locality so you mentioned yeah mean you know the run club intentionally so that it wasn't tied down to a particular location so how do you go about expanding uh, upon that because a few things that come to mind for me or you know things that like all day running company does you know virtual mm-hmm. runs um, you know different different like makeshift races that aren't like formalized that maybe you could do um, or different ways you can spice in and make those uh, weekly runs just that much special or fun sometimes.
0: Yeah, it, you know going beyond New York City and the Wednesday morning run in the same spot. Uh, I think you know a way that a club is you know especially DVRC, is that can benefit people outside our geographic area is honestly just connecting like-minded people that kind of align the same values. Right. Um, it, it's supposed to be expansive, but you know, you will get runners. Like there's runners in Boston that run together. They're not like an official, it's not an official dirty bird run club, but they align with our values and how we carry ourselves um, and kind of our perspective. Would you on ever
1: uh, grant them almost like regional status and kind of go, go, you know, as long as you have someone you trust to mm-hmm. carry those values, would you expand in that way where you do have kind of, um, leaders in certain cities?
0: That's, um, you honest. It, it's hard. You're like, and, no and, one's and like and me. Y- <laughs> n- it's not, it's not me. I mean, I don't do much. I just tell people to go run ride for on mine. a bike. It, I just ride on a bike. I mean, honestly, it's shocking that people even know my name, Yeah, but it, it, it's, I honestly, it's, you nailed it on the head. It's people you trust. Right. And and it goes back to, you know, first five minutes of our conversation is you have to be incredibly intentional with the decisions you make. If you want to protect the brand. Right. Um, if you don't have someone you trust to help expand, you know, your franchise, your business, your brand, um, then it dilutes, um, you know, the messaging that you're trying to put forward and and it weakens, you know, everything that you've built up into that point. So, you know, in a perfect world, yes, absolutely. I would love for a Dirty Burger Club at six thirty a.m. to happen in Austin, Texas, mm-hmm. and, and, and Fresno, and, and Des Moines, right? But I would need to know that there's good, genuine people um, leading the people of Austin, Texas, and, and Des Moines, right? So um, it, it's not in the plans anytime soon, mm-hmm. um, simply because I like to keep everything in front of me, and, and, and you know, it's a low and slow burn. Mm-hmm. Like I want. Um, you know, dirty bird to live on for for ten years, and you know it, expanding to a different geographic region. Um, it kind of threatens that mm-hmm. in my opinion at this point so yeah it, it's hard it's it's a it's a wish and and I do think it's important at some point, but you know uh, i I say to people that some people may see that me overthinking everything because I do I overthink everything. Um as a weakness, but I almost feel like it, it's not overthinking, it's just being incredibly intentional. So yeah. just trying to protect the feeling is, is you know top priority. I'd
1: rather be hyper aware than under Uh so I'd yeah. say that. Yeah. And yeah, you don't want to dilute the uh the dirty birds there. So no. uh, one one topic I know you're pretty passionate about, I'd love to just let you run with it is the idea of this uh you know, lack of a market leader in the media space and in this running mm-hmm. media space because, yeah. you know, I think it's a little difficult because running means a lot of things to a lot of different people. It's done a lot of different yeah. places. It's very interesting uh, because you do have, you know, trail runners, you have uh, flatter trails, you have mountainous trails, different areas, you have road running, you have different distances. So it can be a little difficult. But um, I know one thing you referenced when we were in that, that, that very Uber was uh, there's no house of highlights for running. So, You know, where where Mm -hmm. do you think, do you think there is a void that if capitalized on could really grow to that and how, how would you go about doing that from the ground up?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's completely separate from what I was just saying in terms of geographic region. I think, you know, you need to have coverage and you need to build out a team that you trust, Mm -hmm. um, to kind of spread the the word of the sport of running and and do it in, in, you know, a good timely manner. Um, I I wouldn't say there's so much a void, but more so there's not a huge, massive player that has nailed it on the head, um, specifically in covering running um, through media in in a massive scale Mm -hmm. um, at a high quality rate, right? So, you know, I think there's opportunity there for someone to, to get a good team together and whoever is listening that has the guts to do this and start a business from the ground up please steal this idea because mm-hmm. i'm tired and and i don't think i i can uh, put that time and energy behind it but yeah if you put a team together of you know content creators that are willing to travel all across the country to highlight running clubs running stories running races from the elite level down to like your your one miler um someone that just strapped on the sneakers i think there's an opportunity there and you know brands do it great right nike mm-hmm. puts out amazing content but they're also a brand right and i think you know there's an opportunity um for consumers to align and support a a media company um that's not you know sponsored by a singular you know athletic mm-hmm. brand uh i think there's an opportunity there and, and i think it, it it's exciting um you know i i feel it in my gut that it's going to happen within the next five years simply because of you know how you know, accessible running is and, and what kind of like what we were talking about earlier, how accessible content creating is, mm-hmm. um, nowadays. So I, I think it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, we're going to be talking in two, three years. I'm going to pull this podcast up <laughs> and be like, Oh, I told you so.
1: Yeah. We'll get your, uh, your royalties for it. Yeah. I, I think, <laughs> uh, you know, like Reese and Robbie, what they're trying to do with the audacious report, I think it's mm-hmm. on the right track, mm-hmm. but I think the struggle might be, as we talked about earlier, like, overproduction but under like supply in a sense that you know mm-hmm. the, the production's amazing right but incredible but the production yeah. isn't always suited for reels which are going to get more engagement and be more digestible not everyone can sit down and watch 30 minute episodes or hour-long documentaries no matter, no matter mm-hmm. how amazing they are and they are amazing uh, but it's hard to do that and then so i think that and then also just you know I don't know what the right avenue would be to you know should you cater towards specifically trail running and then slowly broaden out or should you kind of have a broader um you know sample size of different things and you know relating to house the highlights right uh yeah a lot of times it's it's slam dunks it's quick highlights it's quick bursts yeah and running even on short distances it's it's a long time so what do you show do you mm-hmm, show the finish mm-hmm, line do you mm-hmm. show people you know you, you, cool b-roll shots uh when it's a running club do you show cool pictures of things you guys get together. Can you do that remotely without actually being in person and just kind of re repost some of their concept with permission and so forth? So I think it's, it's interesting how you would go about that. Um, and one question I have for you, and build mm-hmm. upon whatever yeah. I, I said, is, you know, is it better to focus on the recreational athletes for a media uh, platform like that or the professional? Because um, sometimes, you know, like people will cover, let's say, Courtney Walter and her stuff is, you know, she's a record breaker, this or that, but there are some, like the guy that fucking whooped ass at my last ultra race. It was a 50, yeah. it was a 50 mile race. And he did it in like five hours and 40 minutes. And just, just an absurd considering like the elevation, everything, a mountainous race, just an absurd pace. Yet the guy has like 400 followers. You know, no one really generally yeah. knows who he is. He is sponsored by your Vipe and so forth. But you know, like if you were to post someone on this imaginary house of highlights for running, I don't know if it would garner the same attention. So I just threw out like a whole word soup there, but, uh, run wherever you want to pick out of that.
0: I'm going to go with option C. Um, it's not a, it's not like the professional athletes and it's not B it's the other end of the spectrum. I option C is honestly, Highlighting personalities like the personalities that people can align with and relate with. I think those are the people that you highlight, right? So for mm-hmm. example, Craig angles, he uh, goes to the Olympics, he runs all these professional races, he's a Nike athlete, but he drives a van and crushes beers. Mm-hmm. And you know, it is a magnetic yeah. personality. Um, you know, you'll find a recreational runner um, that is super boring, but wins races, like, mm-hmm. there's other hearts to the runner and I think that's where it's going like the personalities within running Uh I think that's the key to be honest it's kind of what I I, I was alluding to before is like you need if you want to start this business if you want to start the next big running media company you have to be everywhere to find these stories right like you need to be at the races Mm -hmm. and you need to be following the the guy with 400 Instagram followers um, because he might be the most interesting man in the world um but if you don't capture that right like if you don't see him um on like you know the podium mm-hmm. but he's you know the funniest runner out there that that's the key i think um in, in kind of scaling that business and understanding that that's what people want to consume you know personalities that they can relate to that are real and authentic
1: yeah i think you see that specifically in the trail running space maybe because there's funny foods at eight stations and they're so long but uh yeah, you definitely see that with, with uh, you know, Sally McRae or Courtney or um, trying to get some uh, – Zach Miller is a great example. Um, yeah. He's, he's a character. Um, so you definitely see that. And then even, on, like you mentioned, following these different kind of oddball characters, a guy that I uh, had on my podcast a while ago, he's grown a lot since I followed him. But um, Andrew Glaze, like just this guy mm-hmm. who, like, he, he, he runs, uh, works firefighter, I don't know how he has any time for his family, but sleeps and does it again. Yeah, 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 and right. this guy, for reference real quick, he runs like 100 plus miles every week. He's done it for, I think, like, I don't know, 100, like 50 weeks in a row. Just something absurd. And um, But, you know, just an oddball character and just following interesting personalities like that. Um, that is what, what attracts people. I think gets people excited and gives them for some sure. entertainment with that. So the hardest question to finish.
0: Perfect. Wow. Great. Right. When I'm tired.
1: What's next for Jack Gilbert?
0: Uh, what's next? It's the (laughs) next, honestly, wow. Firstly, professionally, Um, whatever,
1: whatever goals come to mind.
0: I need lunch. First of all, (laughs) um, no, what's next for Jack? Honestly, it, it's just elevating, um, DBRC and showing up next Wednesday Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, impacting the life of the next runner that that rolls through. That's nervous. That's never run before, Mm -hmm. but wants to join a community. Um, it's being there and being my best self to impact them and, um, you know, giving them DBRC um, and then, you know, introducing them to, like, hopefully their friends going forward. Um, that's, to me, is what's the most important. And I think that's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think, um, you know, that people have amazingly grand goals that are five years down the line, like, oh, I want to start a business mm-hmm. and whatnot. And they forget how much work it is just to be, a good person every day and show up as your best self so um you know it, what's next for jack over is waking up tomorrow morning with a smile on my face and being a good dude and positively impacting people's lives i think that's all i can do right now uh i wish i had a better answer for you okay, that, that's um, answer. like you know you know like starting a a, a media conglomerate <laughs> uh no not for me I, i'm just one that likes to you know enjoy life and be there for people and um, you know, just show up as my best self. I'm wear Birkenstocks at the airport. Let those toes out. You got? I I don't like this hate. I think it's fine. <laughs> I think, I, whatever. We could. That's a whole other podcast in and of itself. Yeah. I wear Birkenstocks <laughs> at the airport to the day I die. I don't care what you say. Yeah.
1: Well, that would be a perfect ending. But I have a, one more question. I, I would be remiss sure. if I didn't ask it. I should have asked it earlier. Was yeah. with with a running club? I assume it's mm. like ninety five percent, if not a hundred, word of mouth. But what are avenues for bringing in more people and attention and spreading the, uh, the great joy that is dirty bird run club?
0: Yeah, I, it's honestly, word of mouth is the biggest thing. Yeah. And I think word of mouth protects the vibe in which you, um, want to set forth, right? If good people are bringing good people then they'll bring more good people. So word of mouth is, is very important. And the people you start yourself is really important as well. But you know, Other avenues in which you want to, you know, scale your message and scale your mission is being in the community, like rolling up by yourself to a different club and just parking yourself in the background and listening and maybe meeting two people and then moving on with your day. Right. Like you don't have to hijack the space. Um, And if you do, it's not meaningful and it's not going to actually make lasting connections that in turn will actually help grow your own brand. It's being out there in the community day after day and and connecting with other people outside your space. So we're, you know, one thing that we're doing throughout the the course of the summer is we're doing these crew love weeks where basically, you know, we're collaborating with running clubs outside of Manhattan um, to kind of just meet new people over three runs over the course of the week, just to meet new people and make new connections and kind of build, you know, metaphorical bridges, even though we have a bunch of bridges here in New York city Um, and just getting the word out and just, you know, making sure that you're known and, and you're also listening. Um, I think listening is, is just as good, if not better, as talking. Um, and I think if you listen to people, they'll come align with your brand and, and kind of um, support you in whatever you do. So word of mouth is great, um, but you know, stepping outside your comfort zone and actually being in the community that you want to affect is very, very powerful.
1: Awesome. Well, I think for a rookie podcast, you uh, you crushed it. I think there's a lot of good info for, uh, for all them brands out you there. You'll spice people... it together. You'll make it nice.
0: Yeah, yeah, If you want to get me a full head of hair and like a nice Oh, dude, I can't get rid of the mullet.
1: No. Although it's not a <laughs> yeah, full mullet, no, but it's, it's working on there. But uh, where, yeah, where can uh, people find you? And more importantly, if they're yeah. in the uh, New York area or stopping through on a Wednesday, where are you guys yeah. running at? And I think you said 6:30.
0: Yeah, so we run out of Little Island Park on the West Side Highway every Wednesday morning at 6.30 a.m. You can find all this information at Dirty Bird RC, which is our Instagram. Um, I'm the one that answers the DMs, so drop in, say, hey, what's up, Jack, Um, and and I'll point you in the right direction. And if you can't run on a Wednesday morning, um, please drop in the DMs, and I'll tell you where to run on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Mm -hmm. Um, Monday might be a little tough, but... Um, yeah, that's where you can find me, and that's where you can find our crew. personal IG.
1: Personal IG. What, really is person-
0: what is my I personal? What is my personal IG? I think it's like Jack days? Gilbert or something. I, mean, I think it's Jack Gilbert underscore. It's just a big red dot as as the uh, um, profile yeah profile picture. It'll be. Yeah. In, it'll so that's be in where you can find me. Yeah, so people can you'll find it. it. You'll exactly. find. You'll find it, and you know, but please, um, yeah, <laughs> come through on a Wednesday morning, and that's where you see my best self with you know tired eyes.
1: Yep. On a bike rolling. Well, I appreciate it. And, uh, (laughs) yeah, anyone, any good info you guys got of this, please uh, let other people know, share the podcast, share the show, check out Jack, join the run club, do all of that. And, uh, we'll catch you guys in the next one.